Weeping for Jesus, that was one of the songs we have sung as Brian led us so ably in our praise to God in song. And certainly we do need to be consumed, not just concerned about, but consumed with living for Jesus. There's another song that reminds us about how we do that, living by faith. To live for Jesus, we must live by faith. And that great old hymn begins, I care not today what the morrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or rain, the Lord I know ruleth o'er everything, and all of my worry is vain. And then that great chorus, living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in his great love. From all harm safe in his sheltering arm, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. The tragedy is that there are Myriads of people today who might sing that song with confidence and affirm as they do that they are living by faith and they do not feel alarm. But the faith by which they are living is not the faith that pleases God. And that statement clearly indicates to us that not all faith pleases God. That not all faith is worthwhile. And I want to talk about the worthwhile faith this morning. Because not all faith is worthwhile. In fact, James reminds us that some faith is worthless, unworthy or worthless. Remember his great treatise on faith in James chapter 2, where he says at verse 26, the last verse of that chapter, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. If something is dead, it's worthless not worthwhile. And we need to make certain that we are living by a faith, the faith that is truly a worthwhile faith, recognizing and understanding that not all faith is worthwhile. Let me go back to James for another point to reinforce that. Remember at verse 19 of James chapter 2, James wrote, you believe there is one God? What does he say? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. You believe there is one God, you do well. To modernize that language, it's like saying that's all well and good, but it's not good enough. You believe there's one God, that's not good enough. And then he adds, even the demons believe and tremble. That is, even the demons have that kind of faith, not a worthwhile faith, but a worthless faith. And there's an example of that, that kind of worthless faith, the faith that does not save us in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28. When Jesus had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, you remember there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, Listen to it. What have we to do with you, Jesus, you, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Think about what they were admitting. Think about what they were saying. What have we to do with you, Jesus, you? Who are you? You, Son of God. They affirmed him to be the Son of God. And they affirmed that he had the power to punish them because they added, have you come here to torment us before the time? Was their faith worthwhile or worthless? 
James said, even the demons believe and tremble. And these demons did believe and did tremble. But obviously, their belief was not the kind of belief about which James wrote, the kind of belief, the kind of faith that is a worthwhile faith. This morning, in just the few minutes we have together, I'd like to examine that worthwhile faith with the full understanding that as we have already established from Scripture, not every kind of faith is worthwhile. We must make sure we're living by the faith that is a worthwhile faith. What kind of faith is that? First of all, it's a walking faith. The worthwhile faith is a walking faith. And if you simply did a word study on that word walk or walking, some form of it, it would be a very beneficial study because it reminds us that activity is absolutely essential to our pleasing God and that the faith that pleases God is a faith that walks. In other words, a faith that moves, a faith that acts. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 5. And in Genesis chapter 5, we're introduced to a man by the name of Enoch. And after he begot Methuselah, you remember Methuselah? He's the oldest man who ever lived. He lived 969 years. And Enoch begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, verse 22 of Genesis 5 says, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. He walked with God 300 years. Will we have an opportunity to walk with God in this life 300 years? No. The patriarchs in that particular period of time lived a lot longer than we live now. But it's interesting to note that he walked with God for 300 years. Can we walk with God for 90 if we're blessed to live that long? Or even 100 if we're blessed to live 100? Can we walk with God for 90 or 80 or 70? How long... Can we walk with God? And what does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean to walk with God? Well, verse 24, two verses later. And Enoch walked with God. He reiterates that. Moses does as he writes by inspiration. And then he says, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch, one of two men in Scripture, Elijah being the other who never saw death, but was translated as was mentioned here, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. But what does it mean to walk with God? It means to walk with God by faith, the worthwhile faith. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of fame of the heroes of the faith, as it is often called, or words closely akin to that. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, Enoch is mentioned to us again. By faith, Enoch was translated so that he did not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Now notice it, for before, he, before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That he pleased God. Now Genesis 5, those two verses we looked at there in Genesis 5, verse 22 and verse 24 tell us that he walked with God. Hebrews eleven five says he pleased God. So therefore, we clearly know that walking with God is pleasing to God. But what does walking with God involve? Verse 6 of Hebrews 11 tells us, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And lest we should erroneously conclude that all we have to do is believe that God is and that he rewards those who seek him by their lips rather than by their lives, let us remember the context in which that statement is made. It's about a man who what? Didn't give lip service to God, but a man who walked with God for 300 years. Therefore, his faith was a worthwhile faith because it was a walking faith. You turn over one chapter to Genesis chapter 6, and there you're introduced to the second man of whom it is said that he walked with God. That's Noah. You remember verse 8 of chapter 6, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know how many people that are living today who believe we're saved by grace Alone? A great many, obviously. You know how many more are living today who believe we're saved by grace through faith alone? Even more, obviously. And yet we've already established that Enoch was saved by a worthwhile faith manifested in his 300-year walk with God. And beyond that, after he had Enoch, he he, uh, or I mean, after he had Methuselah, he walked with God 300 more years. That was not the length of his life. So he walked with God by faith. But what about Noah? Lest we should fall into the error that grace alone saves, or that grace through faith alone saves, all we have to do after reading verse 8 of Genesis 6, where it says that Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord, is to read the next verse. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. Perfect in his generations. Noah, what? Walked with God. Walked with God. By what? By faith. Go back to Hebrews 11, as we did with Enoch, and read what is said about Noah right after Hebrews 11:6, which tells us without faith you can't please God. Verse 7 says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, look at it, moved. Moved with godly fear, prepared, action verb again, an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and what? And became heir of the righteousness which is according to what? Faith. How can there be any mistake from looking briefly at the lives of these two great patriarchs, Enoch and Noah, that a worthwhile faith is a walking faith. A walking faith. And closely associated with that is that a walking faith is a working faith. If you're walking, you're working. The worthwhile faith is a working faith. We've just finished studying 1 Thessalonians on Sunday night, and soon, Lord willing, I'd like for us to go do 2 Thessalonians to finish Paul's first two epistles to those brethren. But in our study, if you recall, of 1 Thessalonians, there are some great statements that Paul makes about Faith, and one is relevant to this point about the worthwhile faith being a working faith. Listen to it. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 2 beginning, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing, listen to this, your work of faith. Your work of faith. That should settle it for any objective mind. That if we're going to live by faith, as we sing, then it's going to have to be living by a working faith. 
your work of faith. And then he goes on, labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. Now let's go to another passage that is definitely relevant and tragically often misunderstood when it comes to the matter of faith and works. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. A worthwhile faith is a working faith according to the inspired apostle Paul, who in this text reminds the Ephesians, who are Christians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now verse 9, the verse that is so often and tragically misapplied, says this, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And people stop there and say, there it is. I'm living by a faith, not by works. I'm living by faith, not by works. Well, I'm living by faith and not by works of a certain kind also, and I hope you are. I'm living by faith and not by works of the law of Moses because that law was nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14, has been taken out of the way. The handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has nailed to his cross, thankfully, because no man could keep it perfectly, and it was designed to lead us to the better covenant and the better law, the law of liberty, the law of Christ, the New Testament, and it has done that, and we are there, and therefore we're not living by works of that law any longer. And we're also not living by works that we might devise by which we could boast about our salvation. And that's the very kind of work that Paul has in mind here, obviously, when he says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, he's talking about any kind of work that I could devise and that I could do by which I could, in effect, say to God, now you've got to save me because I've worked it out myself and I have earned it. That's an impossibility. And that is all that Paul is affirming there, is that certain kinds of works are eliminated from a worthwhile faith. But is he saying that all works are eliminated from the faith that is worthwhile? No. And all one has to do to be honest with this passage is read one more verse in Ephesians 2, and that's verse 10. What does he say there? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Think about that. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. What does created in Christ Jesus refer to? It refers to the day they became Christians. It refers to the day you became a Christian if you were a Christian this morning. The day you were created in Christ is the day that you obeyed the gospel of Christ. And that day you were created anew, born again, as the scripture elsewhere affirms. Born again. Born of water and the Spirit. Born of water, coming forth from the watery grave of baptism, according to the teaching of the Holy Spirit, through this word. And your creation, you are a new creature in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Remember what, what Paul wrote there? If any man is in Christ, he is a what? He is a new creation. He is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. Our old things have passed away. All things have become what? Have become new. Have become new. New creation. And so you are created in Christ Jesus when you became a Christian. That was your spiritual creation. 
when you obeyed the gospel of Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come new. New birth, born of water, baptism, and the Spirit, the teaching of the Spirit. And so you have been created. You've been created spiritually. For what purpose? Ephesians 2.10 says, for what? Good works. The very thing that the vast majority of those in the denominational world this morning deny is the very thing for which you were created spiritually. What a tragedy that that is the case. That they work so hard to eliminate works from what the scripture teaches. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, but here's the key. They're not yours. They're not yours. They're not works you came up with by which you've earned your salvation. They're not works of the law of Moses which could not save. But you were created in Christ Jesus for good works which God, listen to the rest of verse 10, which God prepared beforehand that you should, here we are again, walk in them. Walk in them. The worthwhile faith is a walking faith and closely associated with that concept is that it must therefore be a working faith as we've seen from 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 your work of faith and Ephesians 2 8 through 10 but our final point this morning is so crucial because we're reminded in this final point that the worthwhile faith faith must be a willing faith not a faith, not a faith that we engage in or manifest by our walk and by our works because we know if we don't, then we're going to lose our souls and I don't want to go to hell. I'm not that crazy about going to heaven, but I don't want to go to hell. What an attitude. <laughs> what an attitude. Or... I know it's my duty, I've got to do it, and I know the Bible tells me to do my duty, so I'm going to do it. No. No, I've often said that I think the greatest passage that one could find that summarizes what we are to be about as Christians is Galatians 5 and verse 6. And of course the Galatian letter is a letter that has as its emphasis the teaching that Paul was trying to give to these brethren who were being seduced to go back under Judaism and to give up the law of liberty and to go back under that bondage of the, uh, of the law of Moses, those Judaizing teachers. And circumcision they were trying to bind upon these Christians. And so in verse 6 of Galatians 5, he makes this point. He says, For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. In other words, don't buy into this idea that you've got to be circumcised and keep the law even though you are now Christians and you are no longer under that bondage. That's what these Judaizing teachers were trying to convince these Galatian Christians they needed to do. Go back to the law. You can't give up the law. You must be circumcised even though you've embraced the new covenant of Christ. No, Paul says, no, no, no. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But here's what does. But faith working through love. So faith working gets us back to the walking, working faith that's worthwhile. 
but there's something that's added here that makes our third point and our final point for us, and that is it's faith that works by what? By love. And that tells us that the worthwhile faith is a willing faith. A willing faith. Made willing by what? Made willing by the full recognition of the love that makes possible our salvation. All through Scripture, even the Old Testament, God wanted His people to serve Him because of their gratitude and love for Him. That's not a motivation that is new to the New Testament. It is magnified. That motivation is magnified in the New Testament because of the culmination of God's love at Calvary and the giving of God's only begotten Son and His willingness to lay down His life by love for us. That is the culmination of it. It's magnified there. The motivation of love is magnified there, but it was there and always has been there because it's always been God's desire that God's people serve Him willingly based upon their recognition of who He is and what He has done. Listen to Deuteronomy 28. 45 through 47, as Moses set before the people the curses that would come upon them because of their failure to recognize the very principle that we're setting forth here, and that is willing, faithful service to God. He says, here's what's going to happen to you. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God. Period. No. That's not where the statement ends. It is not that you will be cursed because you did not serve. Oh yes, that's going to be crucial. But the key is, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. You see there? There it is in the old covenant. And it's magnified in the new. The worthwhile faith is a willing faith. Oh yes, it has to be a working faith. A walking faith, it's got to be active. That's abundantly clear. But the walk and the work has to be motivated by love. Galatians 5, 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Here's what does, though, Paul says. Faith which works. And here are those two crucial words. By love. John summarized it so beautifully in 1 John four nineteen. We love him. Because he first loved us. And where do we learn of that love? In his word. And the more we feed, about, feed upon that word, the more we learn of that love, the more we see the nature of God, even in the book of Hosea, as we talked about this morning in the auditorium class, the love of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God. Yes, you've abandoned me. Yes, you've gone into idolatry. But if you'll turn to me, I will forgive because I love you. How can I cast you off? How can I give you up? It's that kind of love that caused the one who was equal with God to empty himself and to come to this earth 
and to live and yes then to die the most excruciatingly painful and shameful death of his day for you and for me what kind of response will that evoke from me what kind of faith will I live by it won't be faith alone as James says it'll be faith accompanied by works a walking faith a working faith but most importantly a willing faith that's the worthwhile faith is that the faith that you manifest today you certainly cannot say that if you have not allowed that faith to move you forward to repent that is to change your mind about where you are and to determine to change where you are that's what repentance is a change of mind a change of mind more fully defined that leads you to change your life. How? By confessing that Jesus is the Christ and then by being buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of sins, to be created in Christ Jesus and to rise from that watery grave walking and working willingly because of the love that made possible that simple but absolutely essential plan by which you can have your sins washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, we plead with you to do it. And if you have, but you know that you are no longer walking as you once walked, no longer working as you once worked, and have not been as willing as you once were, then remember God throughout his word says, come home and I will forgive and when I forgive, I forget. And you can be restored to your what? First love, the willingness you once manifested that you need to manifest again. If that's your need, we plead with you to come as we stand and sing to encourage you.